Hey, welcome to the Frauder H Reading Podcast. I am Frauder H. In this podcast recording, when and wherever you are hearing it, I'll be reading to you The Anathema of Zos, a 1927 automatic writing by Austin Osman Spare. Following this, I will read some incendiary writings by the Italian futurist F.T. Marinetti. There will be mispronunciations. Anathema of Zos, The Sermon to the Hypocrites, an automatic writing by Austin Osman Spare. Hostile to self-torment, the vain excuses called devotion, Zos satisfied the habit by speaking loudly unto his self, and at one time, returning to familiar consciousness, he was vexed to notice interested hearers, a rabble of involuntary mendicants, pariahs, whoremongers, adulterers, distended bellies, and the prevalent sick grotesques that obtain in civilizations. His irritation was much, yet still they pestered him, saying, Master, we would learn of these things. Teach us religion. And seeing, with chagrin, the hopeful multitude of believers, he went down into the valley of Stis, prejudiced against them as followers, and when he was ennuyé, he opened his mouth in derision, saying, Oh, ye whose future is in other hands, this familiarity is permitted not of thy, but of my impotence. Know me as Zos, the goat-herd, savior of myself and of those things I have not yet regretted. Unbidden, ye listened to my soliloquy, endure then my anathema. Foul feeders slipped, are ye on your own excrement? Parasites, having made the world lousy, imagine ye your significance to heaven? Desiring to learn, think ye to escape hurt in the rape of your ignorance? For of what I put in, far more than innocence shall come out. Laboring not the harvest of my weakness, shall I your moral-fed desires satisfy? I who enjoy my body with unweary tread, would rather pack with wolves than enter your pest-houses. Sensation, nutrition, mastication, procreation, this is your blind worm cycle. Ye have made a curiously bloody world for love and desire. Shall nothing change except through your accusing diet? In that ye are cannibals, what meat should I offer? Having eaten of your dead selves, savored with every filth, ye now raven to glutton of my mind's motion. In your conflict ye have obtained... <laughs> ye, who believe your procreation is ultimate, are the sweepings of creation manifest, returning again to early simplicity, to hunger, to become and realize ye are not yet... Ye have muddled time and ego. Think you to curb the semen sentimentally? Ye deny sexuality with tinsel ethics, live by slaughter, pray to greater idiots, 
all that all things may be possible to ye who are impossible. For ye desire saviors useless to pleasure. Verily, far easier for madmen to enter heaven than moral lepers. Of what difference is life or death? Of what difference is dream or reality? Know ye nothing further than your own stench? Know ye what ye think ye know for certain? Fain would I be silent. Yet too tolerant is this sun that cometh up to behold me, and my weakness comes of my dissatisfaction of you solicit. But be ye damned before obtaining fresh excuses of me. Cursed are the resurrectionists. Is there only one body and soul? Is there nothing beyond entity, no purchase beyond sense and desire of God than this blasting and devouring swarm ye are? O oh, ye favored of your own excuses, guffaw between bites! Heaven is indifferent to your salvation or catastrophe. Your curveless crookedness maketh ye fallow for a queer fatality. What, I, to aid your self-deception, ameliorate your decaying bodies, preserve your lamentable apotheosis of self? The sword thrust! Not salve, I bring. Am I your swineherd, though I shepherd unto goats? My pleasure does not obtain among vermin, with vain ideas, with hopes and fears of absurd significance. Not yet am I over-weary of myself. Not yet shall I palliate abomination. For in ye I behold your parents and the stigmata of foul feeding." In this ribald intoxication of hypocrisy, this monument of swindlers' littlenesses, where is the mystic symposium, the hierarchy of necromancers that was? Honest was Sodom. Your theology is a slime pit of gibberish become ethics. In your world, where ignorance and deceit constitute felicity, everything ends miserably besmirched with fratricidal blood. Seekers of salvation, salvation of your sick digestion, crippled beliefs, convalescent desires, your borrowed precepts and prayers, a stench unto all good nostrils. Unworthy of a soul, your metamorphosis is laborious of morbid rebirth to give habitants to the shabby sentiments, the ugly familiarities, the calligraphic pandemonium, a world of abundance acquired of greed. Thus ye are outcasts, ye habitate dung heaps, your glorious palaces are hospitals set amid cemeteries, ye breathe gay-heartedly within this cesspit, ye obtain of half-desires, bent persuasions, of threats, of promises made hideous by vituperatious righteousness. Can you realize of heaven when it exists without? Believing without associating, ye are spurious, and know not the way of virtue. There is no virtue in truth, nor truth in righteousness. Law becomes of desires necessity. Corrupt is the teacher, for they who speak have only spent words to give. Believe or blaspheme, do ye not speak from between your thighs? To believe or unbelieve is the question. Verily, if you believe of the least, 
ye needs must thrive all things. Ye are of all things, of all knowledge, and belike will your stupidity to further self-misery. Your wish, your heaven, I say your desire is women, your potential desire a brothel. Ah, ye who fear suffering, who among you has courage to assault the cloudy enemies of creeds, of the stomach's pious hopes? I blaspheme your commandments to provoke and enjoy your bark, your teeth grinding. Know ye what ye want, what ye ask? Know ye virtue from maniacal muttering, sin from folly, desiring a teacher, who among ye are worthy to learn? Brutally shall I teach the gospel of soul suicide, of contraception, not preservation and procreation. Fools, you have made vital the belief the ego is eternal, fulfilling a purpose not lost to you. All things become of desire, the legs to the fish, the wings to the reptile, thus was your soul begotten. Here, O vermin, man has willed man. Your desires shall become flesh, your dreams reality, and no fear shall alter it one whit. Hence do I travel ye into the incarnating abortions, the aberrations, the horrors without sex, for ye are worthless to offer heaven new sexualities." Once in this world I enjoyed laughter, when I remembered the value I gave the contemptible, the significance of my selfish fears, the absurd vanity of my hopes, and sorry righteousness called I. And you? Certainly not befitting are tears of blood, nor laughter of gods. Ye do not even look like men, but the strange spawn of some forgotten ridicule. Lost among the illusions, begat of duality, are these the, differen the differentiations ye make for future entity to ride your bestial self? Millions of times have ye had rebirth, and many more times will ye again suffer existence. Ye are of things distressed, lying down the truths ye made, losing only from my overflow. Perchance I teach ye to learn of yourselves. In my becoming shall the hungry satisfy of my good and evil. I strive me neither, and confide subsequent to the event. Know my purpose, to be a stranger unto myself, the enemy of truth. Uncertain of what ye believe, be like ye half desire, but ye believe this. Servicing your dialectics, subscribing only to self-love, the outcroppings of my hatred now speak. Further, to ventilate my own health, I scoff at your puerile dignitaries' absurd moral clothes and bovine faith in a fortuitous and gluttonous future. Dogs! devouring your own vomit. Cursed are ye all. Throwbacks, adulterers, sycophants, corpse devourers, pilferers, and medicine swallowers. Think ye heaven is an infirmary? Ye know not pleasure. In your sleep 
lusts, feeble violence, and sickly morale, ye are more contemptible than the beasts ye feed for food. I detest your mammon. Disease partakes of your wealth. Having acquired, ye know not how to spend. Ye are good murderers only. Empty of cosmos are they who hunger after righteousness. Already are the merciful spent. Extinct are the pure in heart. Governed are the meek, and of heaven earn similar disgust. Your society is a veneered barbarity. Ye are precocious primitives. Where is your success other than through hatred? There is no good understanding in your world. This bloody transition by procreation and butchery of necessity ye hate and love your neighbor by devouring. The prophets are nauseating and should be persecuted. Objects of ridicule, their deeds cannot live through their tenets. Actions are the criterion. Then how can ye speak other than lies? Love is cursed. Your desire is your god and execration. Ye shall be judged for your appetite. Around me... I see your configuration, again a swine from the herd, a repulsive object of charity. The curse is pronounced, for ye are slime and sweat-born, homicidally reared, and again shall your fathers call to the help of women. Ye vainly labor at a rotten kingdom of good and evil. I say that heaven is Catholic, and none shall enter with susceptibility of either." Cursed are ye who shall be persecuted for my sake. For I say I am convention entire, excessively evil, perverted, and nowhere good for ye. Whosoever would be with me is neither much of me nor of himself enough. Zos, tired but loathing his hearers too much, he again reviled them, saying, Worm-ridden jackals, still will ye feast on my vomit? Whosoever follows me becomes his own enemy, for in that day my exigency shall be his ruin. Go, labor, fulfill the disgust of becoming yourself, of discovering your beliefs, and thus acquire a virtue. Let your good be accidental. Thus escape gratitude and its sorry vainglory, for the wrath of heaven is heavy on easy self-indulgence." In your desire to create a world, do unto others as you would when sufficiently courageous. To cast aside, not save, I come, inexorably towards myself, to smash the law, to make havoc of the charlatans, the quacks, the swankers, and brawling salvationists with their word, tawdry, phantasmagoria, to disillusion and awaken every fear of your natural, rapacious selves, living the most contemptible and generating everything beastly, are ye so vain of your excuse to expect other than the worst of your imagining? Honesty is unvoiced, and I warn you to make holocaust of your saints, your excuses, these flatulent bellowings of your ignorance. Only then could I assure your lurking desire easy remission of your bodlerized sins. Criminals of folly... Ye but sin against self. 
There is no sin for those of heaven's delight. I would ye resist not, nor exploit your evil. Such is of fear, and somnambulism is born of hypocrisy. In pleasure heaven shall break every law before this earth shall pass away. Thus, if I possessed, my goodness toward ye would be volcanic. He who is lawless is free. Necessity and time are conventional phenomena. Without hypocrisy or fear, ye could do as ye wish. Whosoever, therefore, shall break the precept or live its transgression shall have relativity of heaven. For unless your righteousness exist not, ye shall not pleasure freely and creatively. Insomuch as ye sin against doctrine, so shall your imagination be required in becoming. It has been said, without wit, Thou shalt not kill. Among beasts man lives supremely, on his own kind. Teeth and claws are no longer sufficient accessory to appetite. Is this world's worst reality more vicious than human behavior? I suggest to your inbred love of moral gesture to unravel the actual from the dream. Rejoice ye, the lawmakers shall have the ugly destiny of becoming subject. Whatsoever is ordained is superseded to make equilibrium of this consciousness rapport with hypocrisy. Could ye be arbitrary? Belief foreshadows its inversion. Overrun with forgotten desires and struggling truths, ye are... The way of heaven is a purpose anterior to and not induced by thought. Desire other than by the act, shall in no wise obtain. Therefore, believe symbolically, or with caution. Between men and women having that desire, there is no adultery. Spend the large lust, and when ye are satiated, ye shall pass on to something fresh. In this polite day, it has become cleaner to fornicate by the wish than to enact. Offend not your body, nor be so stupid as to let your body offend ye. How shall it serve ye to reproach your duality? Let your oath be in earnest, though better to communicate by the living act than by the word. This God, this cockatrice, is a projection of your imbecile apprehensions. Your bald grossness and madhouse vanities, your love is born of fear, but far better to hate than further deception. I would make your way difficult. Give and take of all men indiscriminately. I know your love and hate. Inquire of red diet. Within your stomach is civil war. Only in self-love is procreative will. What now? Shall I attempt wisdom by words, alphabetic truths with legerdemain grammar? There is no spoken truth that is not past, more wisely forgotten. Shall I scrawl slippery paradox with mad calligraphy? Words, mere words, I exist in a wordless world, without yesterday nor tomorrow, beyond becoming. All conceivableness procures of time and space. Hence, I spit on your tatterdemalion ethics, 
moldering proverbs and priestly inarticulations and delirious pulpit jargon. This alone I give ye as safe commandments in your pestilent schisms. Better it is to go without than to borrow, finer far to take than beg. From puberty till death realize self in all. There is no greater virtue than good nourishment. Feed from the udder, and if the milk be sour, feed on. Human nature is the worst possible. Once I lived among ye. From self-decency now I habitate the waste places, a willing outcast, associate of goats, cleaner far, more honest than men. Within this heterogeneousness of difference, reality is hard to realize, evacuation is difficult. These spiritualists are living sepulchres. What has decayed should perish decently. Cursed are they who supplicate. Gods are with ye yet. Therefore let ye who pray acquire this manner. O self, my God, foreign is thy name except in blasphemy, for I am thy iconoclast. I cast thy bread upon the waters, for I myself am meat enough. Hidden in the labyrinth of the alphabet is my sacred name, the sigil of all things unknown. On earth my kingdom is eternity of desire. My wish incarnates in the belief and becomes flesh, for I am the living truth. Heaven is ecstasy, my consciousness changing and acquiring association. May I have courage to take from my own superabundance. Let me forget righteousness. Free me of morals, lead me into temptation of myself, for I am a tottering kingdom of good and evil. May worth be acquired through those things I have pleasured. May my trespass be worthy. Give me the death of my soul, intoxicate me with self-love, teach me to sustain its freedom, for I am sufficiently hell. Let me sin against the small beliefs. Amen. Concluding his conjunction, Zos said, Again, O sleepwalkers, beggars, and sufferers born of the stomach, unlucky men to whom happiness is necessary, ye are insufficient to live alone, yet not mature enough to sin against the law and still desire women. Other than damnation, I know no magic to satisfy your wishes, for ye believe one thing, desire another, speak unlike, act differently, and obtain the living value. Assuredly, inclination towards new faculties springs from this bastardy, social only to the truths convenient to your courage, yet again beasts shall be planted." Shall I speak of that unique intensity without form? Know ye the ecstasy within, that pleasure between ego and self? At that time of ecstasy there is no thought of others, there is no thought. Thither I go, and none may lead. Sans women, your love is anathema. For me there is no way but my way, therefore go ye your way, none shall lead ye, ye to walk toward yourselves. Let your pleasures be as sunsets, honest, bloody, grotesque. 
was the original purpose, the thorough enjoyment of multitudinous self for ecstasy? These infinite ramifications of consciousness and entity associating by mouth, sex, and sense. Has the besetting of sex become utter wretchedness, repetition, made necessary of your scotomy? O oh, bloody-mouthed, shall I again entertain ye with a little understanding, an introspection of cannibalism and the shambles of diet, the variating murder against the ancestral? Is there no food beyond corpse? Your murder and hypocrisy must pass before ye are uplifted to a world where slaughter is unknown. Thus, with a clean mouth, I say unto ye, I live by bread alone. Sleep is competent prayer. All morality is beastly. Alas, there has been a great failure. Man is dead. Only women remain. With tongue in cheek, I would say, follow me, that ye realize what is hidden in all suffering. I would make your self-mortification voluntary, your wincing courageous. Still will ye be with me? Salutation to all suicides! With a yawn, Zos wearied and fell asleep. In time, the stench awoke him, for he had slept amidst the troughs, and he observed that the crowd were no longer with him, that only swine remained, and he guffawed, and spoke thus, Not yet have I lost relationship, and am thereby nearly asphyxiated. Caught up am I in the toils of sentiment, the moral hallucinations within the ebb and flow of hopes and fears. Shall age alone transmute desire? Not yet have I disentangled illusion from reality, for I not know men from swine, dreams from reality, or whether I did speak only unto myself. Neither know I to whom my anathema would be the more impressionable. My insensible soliloquy eaten as revelation. What I spoke with hard-strived conceit to increase enterprise brings forth only swinish snorts. Water is not alone in finding its level. I have not me tragedy, no, not in this life, yet whether I have spewed their doctrines upon the tables of the law or into the troughs, at least I have not cast away the flesh of dreams. And turning towards his light, Zos said, This my will, O thou glorious sun, I am weary of my snakes descending, making slush. Farewell, antithesis, I have suffered, all is paid. Let me go forth to recreate my sleep. Here ends this book.
Now I will read a few things written by the Italian futurist F.T. Marinetti. This short essay, called We Abjure Our Symbolist Masters, The Last Lovers of the Moon, was included in his 1911-1915 collection, War, The World's Only Hygiene. We have sacrificed everything to the triumph of this futurist conception of life, to such a degree that today we hate our glorious intellectual fathers after having greatly loved them. The grand symbolist geniuses, Edgar Poe, Baudelaire, Mallarmé, and Verlaine, we despise them now for having swum the river of time with their heads always turned back toward the far blue spring of the past, toward the ciel interior où a fleuri oh. la beauté. Oh, I'm so sorry. No poetry without nostalgia without the evocation of dead time, without the fog of history and legend existed for those geniuses. We hate them, the symbolist masters, we who have dared to emerge naked from the river of time and create, in spite of ourselves, our bodies skinned by the stones of the craggy ascent, new singing sources of heroism, new torrents that drape the mountain in scarlet. We are red and love red, eyes and cheeks reddened by reflections from the fireboxes of locomotives. We love, and we sing, the ever-growing triumph of the machine, which they stupidly curse. Our symbolist fathers had a passion that we consider ridiculous, a passion for eternal things. We, on the other hand, think that nothing is lower or meaner than to think of immortality while creating a work of art, lower or meaner than the calculated, usurious idea of the Christian heaven, which is supposed to reward our earthly virtues at a million percent profit. One must simply create, because creation is useful, unrewarded, ignored, despised, in a word, heroic. To the poetry of nostalgic memory, we oppose the poetry of feverish expectation. To tears of beauty brooding tenderly over tombs, we oppose the keen, cutting profile of the pilot, the chauffeur, the aviator. To the conception of the imperishable, the immortal, we oppose, in art, that of becoming the perishable, the transitory, and the ephemeral. Thus, we will transform the nevermore of Edgar Poe into a sharp joy, and will teach people how to love the beauty of an emotion or a sensation to the degree that it is unique and destined to vanish irreparably. History, in our eyes, is fatally a forger, or at least a miserable collector of stamps, medals, and counterfeit coins. The past is necessarily inferior to the future. That is how we wish it to be. How could we acknowledge any merit in our most dangerous enemy, the past, gloomy prevaricator, execrable tutor? 
This is how we deny the obsessing splendor of the dead centuries and how we cooperate with the victorious mechanics that holds the world firm in its web of speed. We cooperate with mechanics in destroying the old poetry of distance and wild solitudes, the exquisite nostalgia of parting, for which we substitute the tragic lyricism of ubiquity and omnipresent speed. Our futurist sensibility, in fact, is no longer moved by the dark mystery of an unexplored alley, of a mountain cleft that we, in spite of ourselves, picture as crossed by the elegant ribbon of a white road, where an automobile, gleaming with progress and full of civilized voices, brusquely pulls up, coughing, a boulevard corner camped in the middle of solitude. Every pine woods, madly in love with the moon, has a futurist road that crosses it from end to end. The simple, doleful rain of endlessly soliloquizing vegetation is over. With us begins the reign of the man whose roots are cut, of the multiplied man who mixes himself with iron, who is fed by electricity and no longer understands anything except the lust for danger and daily heroism. That should be enough to tell you how we despise the defenders of l'esthétique paysagiste, a witless anachronism. Multicolored billboards on the green of the fields, iron bridges that chain the hills together, surgical trains that pierce the blue belly of the mountains, enormous turbine pipes, new muscles of the earth. May you be praised by the futurist poets, by the futurist poets, since you destroy the old, sickly, cooing sensitivity of the earth. When we have such passions, such innovating rage, how can you expect us to accept the artistic philosophy of our contemporary Italy? Too long has Italy submitted to the enfeebling influence of Gabriel D'Annunzio, lesser brother of the great French symbolists, nostalgic like them and like them hovering above the naked female body. One must, at all costs, combat Gabriel D'Annunzio, because with all his great skill, he has distilled the four intellectual poisons we want to abolish forever. 1. The sickly, nostalgic poetry of distance and memory. 2. Romantic sentimentality drenched with moonshine that looks up adoringly to the ideal of woman beauty. 3. Obsession with lechery, with the adulterous triangle, the pepper of incest, and the spice of Christian sin. 4. The professorial passion for the past, and the mania for antiquity and collecting. We likewise reject the stammering, botanical sentimentality of Pascali, which, in spite of his unquestionable genius, is nevertheless guilty of having had a degrading, deleterious influence. We accept only the illuminating work of the four or five great precursors of futurism. I allude to Emile Zola, Walt Whitman, Rosny Aine, author of Bilateral and the Vague Rouge, to Paul Adam, author of Trust, to Gustav Kahn, creator of Free Verse, to Verharen, glorifier of machines and tentacular cities. 
the futurist lyricism, essentially mobile and changeable, like, for that matter, the pictorial dynamism of the futurist painters, Boccioni, Carà, Brusolo, Bala, and Severini, expresses our I with a steady velocity, and it in turn creates itself with a ceaseless inspiration. The futurist lyricism a perpetual dynamism of thought, an uninterrupted current of images and sounds is alone able to express the ephemeral, unstable, and symphonic universe that is forging itself in us and with us. Down with the Tango and Parsifal Futurist letter circulated among cosmopolitan women friends who give tango teas and parsifalize themselves. January 11, 1914. A year ago, I was replying to a questionnaire sent out by Gioblas that denounced the effeminizing poison of the tango. This Epidemic oscillation is spreading little by little through the whole world and threatens to rot every race of men, turning them to gelatin. Once again, therefore, we see that we must hurl ourselves against the imbecility of fashion and deflect the sheep-like current of snobbery. Monotony of romantic haunches amid the flashing eyes and Spanish daggers of de Musset, Hugo, and Gautier. Industrialization of Baudelaire, Fleur du Mal weaving around the taverns of Jean Lorraine for impotent voyeurs a la Hoismans and inverts like Oscar Wilde, last crazy fling of a sentimental decadent paralytic romanticism toward the fatal woman of cardboard clumsiness of English and German tangos, mechanical lusts and spasms of bones and frocks, unable to externalize their sensibilities, mimicry of Parisian and Italian tangos, mollusk couples, savage felinity of the Argentine race, stupidly domesticated, morphinized, powdered over. To possess a woman is not to rub against her, but to penetrate her. Barbarian! A knee between the thighs? Come, they want two. Barbarian! Well, yes then, we are barbarians. Down with the tango and its rhythmic swoons. Is it so amusing for you to look each other in the mouth and ecstatically examine each other's teeth like two hallucinated dentists? To yank? To lunge? Is it so much fun to arch desperately over each other, trying to pop each other like two corked bottles and never succeeding? Or to stare at the points of your shoes like hypnotized cobblers? Soul of mine, do you really wear a size seven? What lovely stockings, dreamboat! You too! Tristan and Isolde, who withhold their climax to excite King Mark. Medicine dropper of love, miniature of sexual anguish, spun sugar of lust, lechery out in the open, delirium tremens, cockeyed hands and feet, pantomime coitus for the camera, masturbated waltz, pwah, down with the diplomatics of the skin, up with the brutality of a violent possession, and the fine fury of an exciting, strengthening muscular dance. 
tangle, roll, and pitch of sailboats who have cast their anchors in the depths of Cretanism, tango, roll, and pitch of sailboats drenched with tenderness and lunar stupidity, tango, tango, a pitching to make one vomit, tango, slow and patient funeral of dead sex. Oh, it's not a question of religion or morality or modesty. These words mean nothing to us. We shout, down with the tango, in the name of health, force, will, and virility. If the tango is bad, Parsifal is worse, because it inoculates the dancers, swaying in languorous boredom with an incurable musical neurasthenia. How shall we avoid Parsifal and its cloudbursts, puddles, and bogs of mystical tears? Parsifal is the systematic devaluation of life, cooperative factory of sadness and desperation, unmelodious protrusion of weak stomachs, bad digestion and heavy breath of forty-year-old virgins, lamentations of fat old constipated priests, wholesale and retail sale of remorses and elegant cowards, cowardices for snobs, insufficiency of blood, weakness of the loins, hysteria, anemia, and green sickness, genuflection, brutalizing and crushing of man, silly scraping of wounded, defeated notes, snoring of drunken organs stretched in the vomit of bitter leitmotifs, cheers and false pearls of Mary Magdalene and decolletage at Maxim's, polyphonic separation of Amfortas's wound, lachrymose sleepiness of the Knights of the Grail, ridiculous Satanism of Kundry, Passeism, Passeism, enough! King and Queen of Snobbery, do you know that you owe an absolute obedience to us, the futurists, living innovators? Then leave the corpse of Wagner to the bestial lusts of the public. Wagner, the innovator of fifty years ago, whose work, now surpassed by Debussy, by Strauss, by our great futurist Pratella, has lost all meaning. You helped us to defend him when he needed it. We will teach you to love and defend something alive, you dear slaves and sheep of snobbery. Furthermore, you forget this final argument, the only persuasive one for you. To love Wagner and Parsifal today, performed everywhere, and especially in the provinces, to give tango teas like all good bourgeois all over the world, come, come, it's no longer chic. The Birth of a Futurist Aesthetic, also from War, the World's Only Hygiene. Yes, by all means, many objections to our destructive, anti-traditionalist principle have already occurred to you. Let me take one of them. What, you say to me, are the works in stone, mar what, you say to me, are the works in stone, marble, or bronze that you can set against the inimitable works left to us by past centuries? I have this simple answer. One. The masterpieces of the past are all that remain of a vast number of works of art that disappeared because of their ugliness or fragility. So you really cannot ask us to oppose the masterworks of a mere fifty years to the sifted residue of at least a millennium. Two. 
Furthermore, I say that such modern phenomena as cosmopolitan nomadism, the democratic spirit, and the decline of religions have reduced to uselessness the great decorative, imperishable buildings that once expressed kingly authority, theocracy, and mysticism. The right to strike equality before the law, the authority of numbers, the usurping power of mobs, the speed of international communication, the habits of hygiene and domestic comfort, these wholly new phenomena require large, popular, well-ventilated apartment blocks, absolutely comfortable trains, tunnels, iron bridges, huge and fast ocean liners, hillside villas shrewdly sighted towards the cool sweep of horizons, immense meeting halls, and perfected chambre de toilette for the rapid daily care of the body. A modern aesthetic most responsive to utility has no need of royal palaces with domineering lines and granite foundations that loom massively out of the past over their little medieval towns, confused welters of wretched dog kennels. To what end, today, would we launch into the sky the pinnacles of those majestic cathedrals that used to mount to the clouds, joining the hands of their ogives in prayer in defense of the little hamlets that cowered in their shadow? To them we oppose the wholly mastered, definitive, futurist aesthetic of great locomotives, twisting tunnels, armored cars, torpedo boats, monoplanes, and racing cars. We create the new aesthetic of speed. We have almost abolished the concept of space and notably diminished the concept of time. We are thus preparing the ubiquity of multiplied man. We will thus arrive at the abolition of the year, the day, and the hour. Meteorological phenomena anticipate us because the seasons have already been fused together. The tragic return of the traditional annual holidays is already losing its hold on our minds. The noctambulism of work and pleasure in France, Italy, and Spain, has it not already melted together day and night? Naturally, the works in which we have expressed this whirlwind of intense life-spinning toward an ideal future cannot be understood and appreciated by a public thunderstruck by our savage eruption and offended by our cruel violence. Later, the public will love these works. Meanwhile, it is already beginning to feel disgust with what we struggle against. Already, we have provoked a growing nausea for the antique, for the worm-eaten and moss-grown, and this is an important, decisive gain. In our first manifesto, in our first manifesto you read this affirmation, which raised a hurricane of disapproval. A racing car is more beautiful than the victory of Samothrace. I will leave you an explosive gift, this image that best completes our thought. Nothing is more beautiful than the steel frame of a house in construction. To a finished house, we prefer the framework of a house in construction, whose girders are the color of danger, landing platforms for airplanes with its numberless arms that claw and comb out stars and comets, its aerial quarterdecks from which the eye embraces a vaster horizon, the steel skeleton with its rhythms of blocks and pulleys, of hammers and hearts, from time to time, 
Yes, let it happen, the harrowing cry and heavy thud of a fallen construction worker, great drop of blood on the pavement. The frame of a house in construction symbolizes our burning passion for the coming into being of things. Things already built and finished, bivouacs of cowardice and sleep, disgust us. We love only the immense, mobile, and impassioned framework that we can consolidate, always differently, at every moment, according to the ever-changing moods of the winds, with the red concrete of our bodies set firm by our wills. You ought to fear everything from the moss-grown past. All your hope should be in the future. Put your trust in progress, which is always right, even when it is wrong, because it is movement, life, struggle, hope. And see that you do not go to law with progress. Let it be an imposter, faithless, an assassin, a thief, an incendiary. Progress is always right. But the plainest, most violent of futurist symbols come to us from the Far East. In Japan, they carry on the strangest of trades, the sale of coal made from human bones. All their powder works are engaged in producing a new explosive substance, more lethal than any yet known. This terrible new mixture has as its principal element coal, made from human bones, with the property of violently absorbing gases and liquids. For this reason, countless Japanese merchants are thoroughly exploring the corpse-stuffed Manchurian battlefields. In great excitement, they make huge excavations, and enormous piles of skeletons multiply in every direction on those broad, bellicose horizons. One hundred sin, seven kilograms, of human bones brings in ninety-two kopecks. The Japanese merchants who direct this absolutely futurist commerce, uh, this absolutely futurist commerce, buy no skulls. It seems that they lack the necessary qualities. Instead, the merchants buy great mounds of other bones to send to Japan, and the Benaku station from a great distance looks to travelers on the Trans-Siberian Trans Railway like a gigantic grayish-white pyramid. Skeletons of heroes who do not hesitate to be crushed in mortars by their own sons, their relatives, or their fellow citizens to be brutally vomited out by Japanese artillery against hostile armies. Glory to the indomitable ashes of man that come to life in cannons. My friends, let us applaud this noble example of synthetic violence. Let us applaud this lovely slap in the face of all the stupid cultivators of sepulchral little kitchen gardens. Quickly, to free the roads, let all our loved and venerated corpses stuff themselves into the throats of cannon. Or, better still, let them await the enemy, gently cradled, in graceful, speeding torpedoes, offering mouthfuls of deadly kisses. There will always be more corpses, all the better. Then explosive materials will also increase, and this will be just what our so flaccid world needs. Unfurl the futurist banner, ever higher, to exalt the aggressive, forgetful will of man, and to affirm once again the ridiculous nullity of nostalgic memory, of myopic history, and the dead past. Do we seem too brutal? 
That is because we speak under dictation from a new sun, which is certainly not the sun that caressed the placid backs of our grandfathers. Those slow steps, sagely measured to the lazy hours of provincial cities with their grassy cobblestones of silence, we breathe an atmosphere that to th- that to them we breathe an atmosphere that to them would have seemed unbreathable. We have no more time to lose in praying over tombs, and besides, how could we make their sluggish souls comprehend? souls more like Homer's than our own. In the inevitable conflicts of peoples soon to come, the conqueror will be the one with the deepest awareness of this difference. The most gifted people will win, the most elastic, quick, forgetful, futurist, and hence the richest. On the eve of this fearful conflict, we, Italian futurists, have no desire to see Italy left in an inferior state. That is why we cast into the sea the heavy burden of the past that weighs down our swift and warlike vessel. Thanks for listening to this recording. I hope it was rewarding for you. I hope you can please pardon my French. Until the next episode, this is Frauder H saying, Hey. <laughs>